This episode of Nomad Athlete Radio is brought to you by Thrive Market. Thrive Market is an online membership-based market on a mission to make healthy living easy and affordable for everyone. Join today at thrivemarket.com slash nomeat to get 40% off your first order and a free gift. Hi, this is Hope. This is Kareem. Hi, this is Katie from Washington, D.C., and you're listening to Nomad Athlete Radio. I'd say we have a, an Instagram superstar coming on, and so uh, it, it made me think about another Insta- uh, rising Instagram superstar uh, with the name of, of Matt Fraser, who posted a video the other day that, that caught my attention, which was, uh, which was of your new coffee maker. Yes, my new meth lab coffee maker. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I've been trying to post on Instagram recently. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm not very good at it. But well, you got you got a, a major head start in that you have a, your son who who does great with his videos um, editing yes. for you. At least I assume that's who's doing that. We have a new arrangement, which is that I am paying him each time I do oh, something. He, wow. makes, he edits the video because I want him to get better at that because he does his own channel. He's Mountain Football Kid, and he's he's great. He he does a lot of video editing and stuff like that. Nothing nothing fancy, but he just does his thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I for the past like year have been thinking I really like to just start like just sharing more cooking stuff that doesn't really fit on nomad athlete like making pasta or whatever um and i've been wanting to do it but like i just can't i just can't get over this hump of editing videos and like learning this skill which maybe it makes me sound old but like i don't know it just seems so hard so anyway so we just i don't know how why we didn't think of this before but now every time i make something interesting i'm just gonna have him take a couple pictures or film it or whatever and then uh then cut it up and then i'll have something done with very little extra effort I like it. That's smart. <laughs> <laughs> Use yeah. those kids. Uh, exactly. Put them to work. That's what they're for, right? That's why we have them. Uh-huh. <laughs> no, but so I actually do have a question about your coffee maker here, and okay. I guess uh, if people want to see this video I'm talking about, they can go to uh, is it Real Matt Fraser on Instagram? Real Matt Fraser. That is my name there. Yes. And uh, and it's probably the last video or, or one of the most recent videos. And um, uh, okay, so it's this. It's this. What's it called? It's what's, called what's... a siphon. It's made by Hario, H-A-R-I-O, who makes the Japanese company makes a lot of coffee equipment. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's called a siphon. And you have you have literal literal fire that is heating up boiling water. There, yep, there's fire. And it's sending it up into uh, into another beacon. I don't know what beaker. <laughs> what do you what do you, what do you call that globe? <laughs> Erlenmeyer flask, I think. Okay. No, that's not what it is. Uh, <laughs> that's just the science name. Oh yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, so it's it's based on physics. Like it's a it's a I think this method was invented in like the 1400s or something. And to me, it's brilliant. I mean, you you boil this water. It's you have this kind of closed circuit, airtight thing, so that once the water boils beneath, something about the air pressure or whatever makes the water actually rise up into the top vessel, and then that's where your coffee sits. So it gets filled, and then once you remove the heat source, the water cools, and then this vacuum is created so it actually pulls your coffee through a filter back into the bottom vessel where the water started. Uh, and that's that's actually the neat part that I didn't realize. Like, I thought it was kind of the same as just any other coffee method of coffee falling through a filter, but it's actually that it vacuum pulls it through. So you, so you get, you know, like an espresso machine, you force something through a filter rather than just letting gravity do the work. Uh, and it, it's it's like that, but but obviously not as powerful as an espresso machine. Okay, all right. So that, I'm glad you I'm glad you described it because I was about to give you a whole bunch of crap for basically having a really fancy <laughs> per- percolator. I know, that, that, and that was that's what my initial objection to it was. I was thinking this just is a whole lot of glass and like a decorative thing that doesn't 
but it actually makes really good coffee. And, it, and it's, it, it, I know it looks like a lot of work in the 15 second Instagram video. It looked like it took two hours of work. Uh, <laughs> but it's actually really, it's just, it's not that big of a, I mean, for some people it would be, but compared to like doing a pour over in the Chemex or whatever, it's, it's 50% more work, not that much. Okay. And then how do you <laughs> clean it? Do you just like run the water through it or not clean yeah. it? Okay. No. Yeah. There's not even run water through. You just you clean each of the two separate glass vessels. You just rinse oh, them. So they unscrew kind of thing, or yeah, like... yeah. It, it it's in it's in pieces. It's not. It looks like a much more complicated thing than it is. It's really just two <laughs> glass pieces that attach. Okay. All right. All right. Anyway, <laughs> this is a good pitch for real Matt Fraser Instagram channel. Go there and see I... what the coffee <laughs> siphon looks like. I know. That was you know. I gotta gotta support um support the Instagram accounts today. <laughs> yes. You do. <laughs> Although I, need, I, I have the sense that it, that Instagram is not the place to try to try to build a new following. I think I need to I need to be a pioneer in a new channel. Well, yeah, and you're a little late on TikTok too. Right? <laughs> TikTok's <laughs> done. That's way too late. I, don't, I gotta find a really new one. I don't know what. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm sure it exists. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, All right. All right. Well, so let's talk about our guest. We have a guest today, and it's not a surprise guest, unlike the last couple. So, uh, but why don't you introduce her? Yep. Okay. Her name is Carly Bodrug. She's uh, she's Plant You on Instagram. That is Plant Y O U. Um, has nine hundred thousand followers and growing like crazy. Uh, it's like as I mentioned in the interview, I I was looking at it a month ago and or maybe a couple weeks ago, and it was like at seven hundred thousand. So it's it's just blowing up. Um, and she will tell us why because we've already done this interview, of course. Um, but anyway, her stuff is is just super delicious. Uh, simple food which I think that's really the key. She's all about making it as practical and simple as it possibly can be. But you wouldn't know that from looking at it. It actually looks like really good, fancy stuff. Um, she's got a new book out, Plant You, which is her cookbook. Um, really, really awesome book. I would highly recommend everyone check it out. It is my favorite book that I've had in a long time. Uh, it comes out on February 15th, as she will also tell us. And I think that is about it, Doug. Any more among Carly? She's from Canada. There's that. You'll notice that. <laughs> Produce or, or whatever. And pasta. Yeah, pasta, pasta, yeah. I love that. She speaks a lot more Canadian words than uh, than Julia on our team does. You notice that? <laughs> I I think Julia has uh, has changed because I remember very clearly when we first started working with Julia that, uh, that there, were, there were lots of Canadian words coming out of her mouth. <laughs> I thought maybe because she's a Western Canadian mm. and, uh, and Carly's in Ontario, so I think I was thinking maybe it was an East West Coast thing, but Could I really be. don't know. Speaking of Julia, Winter Olympics, Doug, starts... I know. There's already... Next like, week, right? I think it starts on... I think Friday, this, okay, tomorrow, this week. Yeah. is like the opening ceremonies, but they're already doing hockey and uh, curling mm. preliminary stuff and, and moguls. I mean, you can you can watch Olympics now. It's on. Peacock. Well, I love Winter Olympics. Olympics. I love the Olympics in general. I think I like the Winter Olympics better. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah. I I, don't, I never thought about which I like better. Like them both. Mm-hmm. No. Julia, by the way, Julia Murray um, was uh, is on our nomad athlete team and compliment team, and she uh, she was a an Olympic skier on ski cross. Is that right, Doug? Ski cross, yep. Ski which cross. is the most badass event on skis. Yeah. I think. <laughs> that's like multiple people on the course at once, right? Like yeah, and the big jumps, and you know you're bas- you're racing other people down the mountain, but there's like all these obstacles and jumps and banks and everything in your way. So she was on the Canadian Olympic team. I don't know if it was in 2016. No, mm-hmm. that wouldn't be. 14. I don't know. I don't think it was 2018, but 2014. Yeah. Anyway, there you go. Look up Julia Murray if you want. She was also in X Games and things like that. Yeah. She was and a-, a Christmas movie. 
<laughs> yeah. I just don't know. You know, we talk a lot about Julia in this podcast, actually. <laughs> no, we yeah. We do. <clears throat> All, right. All right. Well, let's Good. get to the interview. Let's do it. Hey, Matt and Doug here. We are with a very special guest today. Uh, her name is Carly Bodrug. If you follow Instagram, the vegan world at all, you almost certainly know Carly from her super popular Instagram channel, Plant You, uh, which I just looked this morning. And I swear last month, Carly, you had about 700,000 followers, and now it's like almost a million. Is that, am I, did I see that right, or did I just forget the actual number? No, it's been a bit crazy. Like, I, I do think you're you're probably right on the money there. And I'm just so grateful for every single person who presses that follow button. But yeah, it, I, when I look, I'm like, what? I mean, how did that happen? Like, how, yeah, like, how did it go up so much? Is that book so related? Or? Yeah. Honestly, it's been several years, obviously, since I've been building the Instagram account. But it's short video content that people are certainly really resonating lately. And specifically, the series I do, Scrappy Cooking, where I take like common food scraps and transform them into recipes, people go crazy over. And I notice whenever one of those videos is kind of popping off, that's when I'm garnering a large new following, which is awesome. Mm, okay. So I'm going to start making scrappy cooking videos on my on my real Matt Fraser account. Do it. Do that's it. Trick, huh? <laughs> no, actually, I have. Uh, I think that's right on the money because when I – so I got to know you when you were gracious enough to, uh, to have us have Robert and I, Robert and me, on your podcast – um, so, or maybe it was just Instagram Live, um, when our book came out, when The Plant-Based Athlete came out, and I've been looking at your stuff since then, and um, somehow, you know, I've, I sort of associated you with those scrappy cooking recipes, because I was not really on Instagram, I kind of joined after that, um, and like that just, those are the things that just stuck in my mind, it's like, that's what you do. After look, digging deeper, I realized like, that's actually not what you do, it's just one of the things you do, um, but yeah, there's something about that, and the, you know, the banana peel, uh, what was that one, banana peel? Jerky or bacon? Bacon? Yeah. Yeah. So, like, I mean, I was going to ask these things later, but how, like, what's your cooking background? Like, how are you coming up with those things? Like, how do you figure out you can eat banana peels and make candied orange peels and stuff like that? So, my background is actually in broadcast journalism. And, (laughs) (laughs) ironically, and honestly, I've just always been a very curious person. I have no formal cooking background and kind of getting past the imposter syndrome of that has been a whole Mm. other story, but I've just always been this person who's very curious, always in the depths of the internet doing research, and that's kind of how my recipe creation process started. As a journalist in training, I learned to really take complicated information and then make it like acceptable to the bottom line so anybody can take a scientific piece of information and understand it and using that formula it's kind of been translated over to my recipe creation process like I am not a chef so I look at a complicated recipe or even a recipe with animal products in it and see how I can make it as simple as possible but from a plant-based perspective. So I started sharing like really easy plant-based recipes. That's how plant you started. But the scrappy cookie cooking originated because one day I just threw up like an orange peel candy recipe, which is something we make in our own home, um, half to reduce food waste, but also half to save money because produce prices, I'm sure where you are as well, but in Canada are just crazy right now. So if you're throwing out something like, 
your stalks of broccoli, which is literally half the broccoli. It just doesn't make a lot of sense, especially if you're trying to stay on a budget. So I threw up like an orange peel candy recipe one day and people just went nuts. And I was like, what? Like, <laughs> and then I, and then I just kind of developed the series from there. I think yesterday or two days ago, I posted like my 37th scrappy cooking episode. And this only started in the summertime. So I've been churning out a lot of them and every single time people just resonate with them on such a deep level that I've never seen on social media before. And I love it. Hmm. That's really neat. Uh, interesting to hear that you don't have a cooking background which I totally get and I get the imposter syndrome and all that because that's when I was developing recipes in my very first book because the second one, the cookbook, um, I had a co-author and she honestly did the vast majority of the recipes. But like I had the same thing where it was like I just didn't feel like I was qualified to like, I don't know, like know how to combine flavors and stuff. Like I was just putting up the recipes which were, you know, two iterations away from a recipe that I found in a cookbook and we had just sort of evolved it over time. Um, So how do you like, how do you, Deal with like as the sole author of an entire cookbook, and I mean honestly, your whole your whole livelihood now is about cooking. Um, I'm just curious about that imposter syndrome because that's you know everyone deals with that kind of stuff. Like, I guess I'm curious about that how you're how you're getting over it, but also, um, I guess like how do you actually I don't know how do you like what's your process around developing recipes and and like for example balancing the flavors like. I always, I always have that same thing. I'm like, well, I didn't go to culinary school. Like, how am I going to know how much, you know, acid goes in this versus how much sweetness or whatever? Like, is it just a, a ton of testing that, that goes into it? So the imposter syndrome is crippling. Like, especially right now, I won't lie. I wake up every morning with, like, this heaviness in my chest. Like, people are going to discover at any moment right. that this is a complete fraudulent, <laughs> like who am I to be publishing a cookbook? Right. But I think the magic in the recipes in the book is the fact that you and I don't have a culinary background. And I think as a default that makes recipes very accessible because you're not overcomplicating things, right? It's it's like you're coming at it from a novice cook. In terms of recipe testing and exploring, it's it's interesting because I dove into the cookbook and that was almost like a crash course in recipe testing. I think it was like at that time before the cookbook, I hadn't been doing like multiple iterations of recipes before I posted them. But when you know something's going to be in print, you want to get it perfect. So as you know, the recipe testing process, it was like test, adjust, test, adjust until it was like a whole new kind of creation. The other thing I think about plant-based cooking is like a lot of the techniques in the plant-based world are new, right? So it's, it allows you to innovate no matter who you are by looking at how you can emulate those kind of meaty or um, like fatty flavors that you get from something like cheese in a plant-based version. So I remember one recipe that went viral like last year was um, baked feta pasta on TikTok. And I knew instinctively right away that I could emulate the creaminess of the feta in this baked feta pasta dish by blending up tofu with like nutritional yeast, a little bit of acid from something like apple cider vinegar and um, some salt. And it worked out perfectly. And so it's like building trust with yourself, right? That that you can emulate these flavors and create a delicious delicious dish. The other thing that I think um, 
I have on my side is I like to think I have a really good palate. Like I love food and I have always loved, loved, loved food. Not so much cooking when I was younger, but I have always adored food and loved trying restaurants and different types of cuisines. So I like to think that I, <laughs> I know what tastes good. And I think a lot of good cooking comes down to that, right? Like if, if you know what tastes good and what other people will like, then I think your recipes are gonna resonate. Has been proven by like, you've had such a successful cookbook and Obviously, people have tried my recipes and liked them, so I have to remember that. But it's still crippling. Like, it's, it's, especially when you see like real chefs on Instagram and TikTok now, it's like, whoa, like, that's a whole other level. But I like to think that the beauty in the recipes that I create is the accessibility and simplicity of them. Yeah, I think, you know, go ahead. Sorry, just I'll let you go, Doug. But I think, I think, Harley, that's, uh, I mean that's obviously that's exactly right. Like right, like the 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 chefs who are actually real chefs, like they're making truly amazing food, but that's for one percent of people who are who are you know actually cooking at home are going to go to that level and do that. Like and I, and I realized as I did some research on you and the cookbook that like what you're out to do is is make just like with the book you said like make make the simplest possible, most practical cookbook that could possibly be made basically, and. Uh, you did that, which is amazing, and it's like it's this perfect. It's it's such a. I know it's not meant to be, but it's a kid-friendly book because my daughter has has gone all through the book and put post-its on all the different pages and everything that we're gonna make because there's like a nice simple picture of each dish, um, just like an overhead Instagram type shot, and a picture of each of the ingredients with it, which is just a nice little. I don't know. It's just it's just super super simple. Um, at the same time, they're all dishes that seem like they're gonna be really really good, and the couple that we made last night actually really were. Um, so I think I think you're doing an amazing job with that, obviously, and you don't need me to tell you that, obviously. But Doug, go ahead. So you talked about, uh, especially when print, you know, you're 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 tasting it and then you're adjusting, you're tasting, adjusting. What at what point do you say, okay, this is this is final, this is good enough for print, this is good enough to put on, on social? Because you know, I make sauces all the time and make them up, make up the recipes, and I'm like, okay, yeah, this kind of worked for tonight, but. Uh, I would definitely want to adjust it next time. And, and I feel like I could always continue to, to do that and, and I would never fully be satisfied. So how do, how do you actually make the call? Okay, this is ready. This is done. So once I feel like it's at a really delicious version, I will get my fiance to try it. And he has learned over the years not to sugarcoat things and um, be honest with me. So once I get my stamp of approval and then another person's stamp of approval, usually his, it's when it can then be put out into the world is kind of my rule. He at first, like when I was recipe creating years ago, because I, I started my blog probably around 2015, 2016, he would say everything is amazing. But now he's good like he'll he'll tell me he's like I think you can do better or maybe add some more acidity like it's ridiculous because we're not chefs but we're sitting here like ooh, that needs that needs some more some more lemon juice I don't know you know like it's just it's all it's all a pro process I love that and and I appreciate I appreciate that he is uh not afraid to uh to <laughs> tell you the truth anymore <laughs> okay i want to get back to uh to the early days your origin story with the plant-based diet uh but first let's thank our sponsor 
This episode is brought to you by Thrive Market. Thrive Market is an online membership-based market on a mission to make healthy living easy and affordable for everyone. They carry all of your favorite clean, nutritious brands that don't clean out your wallet. Shop everything from ethically sourced pantry essentials to non-toxic cleaning and beauty products. Each and every item is vetted by Thrive's high standards, so you get the highest quality products at the best price. Plus, you can easily shop by diet and values such as vegan, low-sugar, non-GMO, fair trade certified, and many more. And when you become a member, Thrive Market donates a membership to a family in need. Thrive Market has monthly or annual membership options to suit your lifestyle. Matt, I'm a, I'm a big Thrive Market guy. I just got a most my most recent uh, order from Thrive Market. Came in, got a bunch of chickpea pastas, got some risotto rice, got some snacks, even got some dish soap, and you know, just kind of one stop shop for all the like pantry stuff and, and kind of goods that. Uh, you know that that's not produce. Then you go to the market or whatever, and you get you get your produce, and you're good to go. I think Doug, I think Thrive Market was a kind of early Nomadathy Radio podcast sponsor back in the day, and that was one of the first places you could get vegan jerky. And I remember you just mm. loaded up on the on the I, yes, Louisville, Louisville vegan, vegan jerky. jerky. Yes. They still have it. I, I we actually got some last less <laughs> than this last order. I love that stuff. <laughs> Way to go. So do I. And you can you know it's just really nice that you can hit the hit the vegan button, and then you know you're you don't have to look at any labels or anything. Like love that. a vegan button. <laughs> to get 40% off your first order and a free gift, join at thrivemarket.com slash no meat. That's 40% off your first order and a free get, gift when you join today at thrivemarket.com slash no meat. All right. So Carly, we, we kind of jumped into the book and the recipes. By the way, when does the book come out just for people who, who are listening to this now? February 15th. So a week and a half from when we're recording this. I don't know when it will air. But if, okay. yeah, so exciting. Very good. Uh, and I'm sure you got a good pre-order offer and all that sort of thing. So we'll, we'll get to that in a bit. Um, anyway, it's called Plant You. So we didn't really get into, we didn't go into the background stuff. We just started talking about recipe creation and all this. Um, what is your vegan story? I mean, I know, I know kind of what it is, but, and, it, and I think it's kind of surprising because it has to do with the forks over knives path into plant-based diet. And that's the path that is more often taken by older people. Uh, it seems so. I'm just curious about uh, you know how did you come across that film and uh, and just what what was your what was your vegan transformation story? Absolutely. So I actually grew up on a hobby farm in a small town in Ontario, Canada, and we grew up with chickens and horses and dogs and just as a huge animal loving family but would sit down at dinner and eat meat like dinner was not complete without meat on the plate and a glass of dairy milk to wash it down so it wasn't until 2015 that the world health organization announced that red and processed meat were now classed as group two and group one carcinogens and my dad uh, was a stage two colon cancer survivor, had had this very invasive surgery and chemotherapy. And at the time we had gone back to eating the very thing that could have contributed to the cancer at the very least did not help. And I remember when that news came out just being so shocked because the Canada Food Guide thankfully has been updated now, but at the time was suggesting it literally had a plate with like meat dairy so like these are things that my parents thought that we had to be eating as a family in order to be healthy but then this really information from the world health organization completely contradicted it 
So that's when kind of the exploration began. And from a journalist perspective, I kind of put on that hat. We started watching the documentaries, Forks Over Our Knives, reading books like Eat to Live by Dr. Joel Furman and How Not to Die by Dr. Michael Greger. And it was like immediately evident to me that not only was eating plant-based such an amazing decision from a health perspective, but for our planet and the animals as well. So at the time, I was actually working as a radio host, uh, living in a bachelor apartment by myself up in northern Ontario. And I was like, what the heck can I cook? Because from this point before that, I had never had a vegan meal probably in my life. And I remember going on Pinterest and looking at like putting in the word vegan and there was all these really like elaborate nourish bowls with things like spiralized zucchini and carved avocados and I was like uh-oh um I can't do this so I started by kind of veganizing the recipes that I grew up eating so for example like my mom's bolognese pasta sauce swapping in lentils for like the ground beef And that was really a jumping off point for me. And because I kind of had this journalistic background, I started thinking, well, I really want to get the word out about how amazing a plant-based lifestyle can be for all all these reasons. And that's kind of how Plant U was born. I started sharing infographic recipes, actually exactly how my cookbook is laid out. And they just resonated so widely with people because I think the simplicity of them, people loved. And the rest is kind of history. I ended up leaving my job to pursue Plant You full-time in 2019, so really not that long ago, and then got the cookbook deal, and now I'm sitting on this podcast talking to you guys. <laughs> yep, I, I know that path. It sounds sounds very familiar. Uh, so you started on uh, on Facebook or Instagram where you were posting these infographics? Instagram is where they really resonated and uh, you can still see like they're popping around always on Pinterest and stuff. People still share them today. Like Mm. I've definitely moved into short video content, but the infographics are what originally grew my account for sure. And it was actually Mm. the basis of my book proposal as well. Oh, okay. And was it for you, was it like, I'm starting this new business hobby so I can get out of this radio host gig, which by the way, I'm curious about what, what you were doing as a radio host, but uh was it like that or was it more just like, I'm going to start doing this thing for fun and just kind of, it just blew up to something you never expected? I was always doing things on the side and I was very impassioned by this, especially given my father. And thankfully my parents went plant-based at the same time I did. Plant predominant, they're not entirely vegan, but so I was just really felt compelled to share about it. It wasn't until like, I had garnered an audience of maybe like 75,000 people on Instagram that I thought, whoa, like this could be something that I could actually dedicate my life to and thought of, (laughs) started looking at it from a business perspective. But it really just was, as you know, if you're working on something like this for years, like I never made a dime. It was just more about me wanting to really share how amazing and easy plant-based eating can be from every facet. Yep, and uh, and of course that I'm sure that had a lot to do with your success. The fact that at the beginning it wasn't about trying to you know monetize or anything right away. It was just it would just give out great content and build trust, and then it all it all comes back to you. So very good. Um, so I read that you that you like a lot of I mean a lot of people are not a lot of plant based people vegans they don't like to say uh, 
you know, ease your way in very gradually. A lot of people, you know, they, they just want people to go overnight. Uh, you are like me and like Doug uh, in in kind of advocating for a much slower approach. Uh, can you talk about that a little bit? Like why, you know, what, what sort of informs that uh, that viewpoint of yours and, and you know, how did, did you ease in gradually or was it kind of an overnight thing for you? It actually took me a year. So I first slashed red meat and then started looking at chicken. Thankfully, I was never a fan of seafood, so that wasn't a problem, but then got rid of the chicken and then eventually the dairy and the cheese was the last to go. And I think also, you know what the biggest hurdle was? It was social events. So like Thanksgiving in Canada with my family, I was like, how am I going to navigate this from a social perspective? How do I tell people that I'm not going to eat the turkey this year? So getting the confidence to really tell people I was going down this path of being vegan and plant-based was the biggest hurdle. And it really took me a year to gain the confidence and then also, um, learn to cook for myself and have these arsenal of meals that I could lean on whenever I want to cook. So it took me a year. I'm sure that informs how I advise people to now go plant-based, but I truly, truly believe that people will have more success if they ease into it rather than going vegan overnight. If you're coming at it from a place where you have never really cooked plant-based, you've got to think of it like you're you're starting from ground zero. So if you've eaten meat all of your life, how are you now just expected to cook entirely plant-based in your home and be successful with that? And what I think happens is that people get really excited, right? Like they watch the forks over knives, they watch the what the health, and they're very impassioned to do this. And they decide that they're gonna switch overnight and they start cooking plant-based. And they realize that um, they don't feel so well potentially because they haven't been eating any fiber in their diet and they've now gone from zero to 100. They're experiencing maybe a, some stomach upset and they go back to eating meat and cheese because that's what they know and it made them feel okay. So I think people make a mistake by really jumping into it and might experience kind of the uptick in fiber and some stomach issues. The other thing is you really need to develop like those, a repertoire of meals that you love um, before diving into committing to being plant-based 24 seven. So I, I remember reading a blog post from you years and years ago about how you guys eat a similar like similar meals every week and I don't want to say like plant diversity is so important I think you can eat similar meals every single week while including plant diversity in your diet and switching things up and that was really profound to me when I read that from you who I considered obviously an expert in plant-based eating at the time because I think one of the mistakes people make when they go vegan is they feel like they need to be making these crazy culinary meals every night of the week. So (laughs) easing yourself in, developing a repertoire of meals, slowly swapping things out so that you're getting familiar with plant-based foods and seeing that you can thrive in this lifestyle, to me is the ticket for a lifelong plant-based, amazing 
life in general, right? Um, it's not, I always say to people, it's not a race, it's a journey. You're making like a lifelong commitment to live in alignment with your morals and values as well as live a healthier life. So jumping in and then being overwhelmed and quitting is not the answer. Unless, of course, you want to do it that way. Like I would never want to discourage people from just going vegan overnight if they really think they can be successful in that. But I always, I cautiously suggest that people ease into it. Yeah, we, we often talk about having, you know, going all in if that's what you want to do, but then having a backup plan for a week or two later when all of a sudden it gets way harder than <laughs> than, than you thought. You know, and, and I think you're exactly right. People really underestimate the time commitment that comes from learning how to cook a totally different way. And and, and that that alone can be, uh, you know, demoralizing if, if you're just suddenly having to spend all this time on difficult recipes or whatever. Um, it can, it can. And the social thing too, like Carly, you mentioned that, that the social component's a big one. To me, like just as much as you need to develop this repertoire rep, repertoire of, uh, of of recipes and cooking, you know, meals that you can kind of go to. Like for me, it was about developing the repertoire basically of how do you order at a restaurant when when the whole menu is no longer available to you, or how do you you know deal with you're going to a party and there's going to be food there, and like and you're expected to eat something or at least you know say something. Like I don't know, it uh, that that stuff. To me, that's what comes with with taking it slow. That you don't really realize uh, is gonna have is gonna you're gonna benefit from by giving that time to to develop. The other message that I say to people is, at the end of the day, I think it can be really counteractive to the vegan and plant based movement when we tell people that it has to be all or nothing right off the bat. Right, like if people are don't want to go plant-based because they just are in love with the sushi meal that they have out once per month with their family. Then have the sushi meal and go back to being plant-based 99% of the time. The 99% of the time is what matters. Obviously, I'm an advocate for being vegan, but I think it takes a little bit of time to gain confidence and know what you love to eat just as much as the meat and the cheese in a plant-based version. And that's okay. I think it's completely fine. Yep, totally agree. So I want to shift shift a little bit back to your recipe philosophy. Right on your Instagram handle, you have um, that the recipes are, are plant-based and low waste. And uh, that resonates with me, but, but I, I kind of want to hear from you exactly what you mean by low waste recipes and then why you think that's that's an important thing for you to... A important philosophy for you to have when you're developing the recipes. Absolutely. So I think it's so important that people start looking at the food they're buying and actually using the entire plant if they can. So one example that I always give is like the whole broccoli. Please stop throwing out the broccoli stems. You're paying for the entire broccoli likely by weight and those can be utilized and are so nutrient dense. So when I'm creating recipes, I try to think about how I can use the entire plant in a recipe or if not carry it forward to another recipe coming later in the week. So my philosophy is always to make plants the star of the show, to make the recipe healthy and to reduce waste as much as possible. And that's kind of how I approach things. From a waste perspective, the other thing that I always encourage people to do, whether they're plant-based or not, is to plan out your meals for the week. This is probably the biggest low waste tip of them all, right? You want to, whether your weekend is on Saturday or Sunday or whenever during the week, you really want to look at what you want to eat that week 
and plan out your meals accordingly. I cannot believe the amount of people who head to the grocery store each week without a plan. Like that scares me, the thought of that. Uh, We plan out our meals down to every ingredient every week so that we can reduce waste and also save money. And the other aspect of that is when you have a plan, you're going to be much more successful in your plant-based lifestyle. So I always suggest people have like a calendar out. um, And I know you, you guys have a meal planner. I have a meal planner as well, whatever works for you. But sometimes all you need is a piece of paper, right? And a list and write down Monday to Friday. What are you going to eat for those three meals per day? Look up some recipes on Pinterest or on Instagram and plan accordingly and then buy those exact ingredients and see how you can overlap ingredients through different meals so that you're using the entire plant up and it's not going to sit there getting wilty and old in your fridge which by the way if it does get wilty and old in your fridge you can throw it in the freezer and then make a homemade veggie broth later which is a great way to also reduce your food waste why do you why do you think that that isn't the philosophy of, of all recipe developers. Like, you know, why is it so novel for us to be thinking about using the, the stem of the broccoli? I don't know. And you know what? It, what's interesting is whenever I post a scrappy recipe, people will always be like, oh, we do this in India or we do this in our culture. And I honestly hmm. think it's like a North American thing to waste food. Like in the mass that we do, we've just normalized certain parts of uh plants being used in other parts not and it's just it's it's very strange to me and i think it's something like 40 percent of edible food in north america goes to waste which is just really staggering but more than anything it's a it's about careful planning like planning is going to reduce your food waste more than using like the skins of oranges but i think what i really want from this scrappy cooking phenomenon is to people start to start thinking about that right to start thinking about their personal food waste and how we can save money and reduce our own footprints as much as we can i like it um all right one more about cooking then i got a quick lightning round then you can get back to your uh your busy instagram rock star life (laughs) (laughs) um so oil free i didn't realize your stuff was oil free until I dug deeper because it doesn't give off that appearance. It looks like, uh, you know, in, in many ways, kind of decadent. Um, what's the word? Uh, you know, food that, that takes some thought and preparation. And it, I mean, it's actually much simpler than it appears, obviously. But uh, oil-free, I, I know why you're doing it because you mentioned Furman, Gregor, uh, Forks Over Knives, big big oil-free or low-oil advocates, of course. Um, I think people know the benefits of oil-free, or at least at least the, the, the benefits that that camp uh, argues for. As far as cooking, though, I think that's where people need the 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 pitch is like what you know how how can how can you like tell someone why oil free cooking isn't going to isn't going to just make all their food suddenly terrible and bland and not rich absolutely so the cookbook is entirely oil free i will use oil occasionally in recipes uh nowadays if i feel like it really needs it but what i will say i feel like as a society in north america again we just put oil in everything like it's like every single recipe i see starts with oil and it's so unnecessary <laughs> like i find food will often taste intensely more flavorful if it's not coated in oil and here's the thing we like to overcomplicate 
oil-free cooking, I think. I always tell people, you're starting a recipe, say it's a curry, you're starting with onions and garlic in the plate. Even without, you can use broth and oil, or sorry, broth and water to like lubricate the pan, but without, after about a couple of minutes of sauteing those onions and garlic on low heat, you're gonna notice that your pan is like lubricated with the water that has come out of your onions and garlic. So from a baseline, any recipe that calls from oil that like starts in a pan, I truly believe you do not need oil in it. Um, it's so, so easy to just replace that with broth or water or nothing at all if you have a good nonstick pan. Um, as well, baked goods, so, so easy not to cook with oil. First of all, within baked goods, there's amazing things like applesauce, pureed banana, flax eggs, that will really add moisture content to your baked goods without that oil. And then also, on the flip side of that, using stuff like silicone liners or parchment paper are gonna prevent anything from sticking even beyond what your oil would normally do. So I think we overuse oil a lot, so I like to challenge people to look at it as an ingredient that you use sometimes to enhance flavor profiles of recipes, but that you don't need to use every day in your cooking. And it's really simple to make these small adjustments to live in oil oil-free lifestyle if that's what you're wanting to do. Yep, I love that. Um, just like just like your approach to plant-based diet, um, especially at the beginning, I think I think this approach to oil is is really spot on. I mean, it's to me, it's like it just it doesn't have to be all or nothing. Uh, you could like we we can probably agree that oil doesn't need to be in every single meal that we eat, but that's kind of the way, like you said, like we just we just have tended to start doing that. So uh, yeah, you don't need to go oil free in order to to just be a little bit more mindful about how much you eat. And, and if you do, then then you, you reduce your calories a lot in the process. And um, according to Carly, it makes some foods actually taste better. All right. Um, quick, does Doug get anything else? Or should I get into my, my lightning? No, they're let's, just, let's they're just fire them away. Let's okay. fire away. All right. Um, all right. They're all about your, all about your your definitive best um, versions of several recipes. So number one, um, what's the very best way to cook tofu, Carly? I'm talking about flavor and also balancing that with the effort required. The best way to cook tofu is... The best. The best. Okay, the best way to cook tofu is in my opinion, to toss in a little bit of veggie broth and flour and then um, add some nutritional yeast and either air fry or bake. It comes out so crispy and delicious. And also in stir fries, like every single stir fry I have, I love putting cube tofu that's been air fried. Delicious. All right. I love it. Uh, the best scrappy cooking recipe out of all 37 or 38 that are currently in existence, what's the, what's the one that, you know, best balances amount of effort, usefulness, practical, practicality, and uh, taste? So I just posted the one two days ago, might be my favorite. It's how to use up like half a head of cabbage, which I find people always buy their cabbage whole and it's hard to get through. And I made cabbage steaks with like a beautiful peanut tahini marinade. It's an oil-free recipe for anybody interested. It's on my blog at plantu.com. So delicious, these cabbage steaks. We can't get enough. By the way, I think we're going to do that tonight. I, I was looking at your Instagrams this morning in prep for this <laughs> and saw that, and we have a big head of cabbage, and I think I'm going to do it tonight. So good. All right, and finally, this one's from my daughter. She wants to know, what's your favorite of the uh, of the overnight oats recipes? She's my cooking buddy. She she herself, with my wife, has uh, has overnight oats every morning. I won't touch the things. I don't, I don't like 
notes at all. But she wants to know what's the favorite one because there was a picture of eight of them and they all look beautiful. You know what? We're going to go classic with like the PB&J. So good. Classic Ooh. flavor. Love it. And I I can't believe you don't like overnight oats or oats <laughs> in general. That shocks you know, me. In fairness, I've never actually even tasted overnight oats. <gasps> that Because the hot oats to me are so I don't know. I just can't. I'm just not into it. So the idea of having that same thing only now cold and even mushy. mushy. Oh, I'm just, I'm just not into it. But I know that I know it's healthy. So maybe one day. All right. Um. Anyway, the book is Plant You. It's in stores everywhere. I assume. Um. February fifteenth. Is that right, Carly? Yes. Right? And please support okay. your local bookstores if you're listening and you want to get it. Please, please, please. They've been through a lot these past two years. Yes, absolutely. It's also very helpful to the author. That was a big part of the plant-based athlete success was that uh, the the No Made Athlete community and Robert Cheek's vegan bodybuilding community, uh, they just they just went out to independent bookstores apparently uh, like like crazy people. And and the Barnes and Noble, you know, the, not just not just the tiny ones. You can go to the bigger ones too if you want. Um, but yeah, support support local stores, and and that's actually really good for the author as well. Um, so yeah, so uh, where's the best way people can go to find out more in the meantime between now and then? Um, yeah, for yeah. sure. My handle on social media anywhere is plant you and I'm posting like mad about the book. But if you're looking at like a URL to get more information on the book, it's plant you Okay, and that's plant Y-O-U, by the way, not not uh, some sort of Instagram speak with the letter U or something. It's plant Y-O-U. All right, Carly, thank you so much. This has been awesome. Uh, I'm a really big fan of your work. I absolutely love the cookbook. Oh, by the way, I forgot to mention, we made the creamy mushroom pasta last night and rainbow summer rolls, even though it's dead of winter. Um, <laughs> my daughter, who I said is my cooking buddy, she convinced me we needed also to make these uh, the summer rolls, which were delicious. It was a terrible idea, by the way, to try to make them, though, at the same time as this, because we were trying to rush out the door for soccer practice. I was trying to get a workout in. Like, I was just sweating trying to cook all this food at once. Um, not no fault of the recipes they were simple and great and they turned out wonderfully well amazing uh, but it was a it was a wild night <laughs> yes <laughs> totally so, wild <laughs> yeah. yes that's that's how it is when you've got two <laughs> that's what wild is all right carly thank you so much uh best of luck with the book hope everyone will check it out and uh and uh hope to, to hang out and do something soon thank you thank you guys so so much all right thanks, thanks.